0: Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Spirit of the God, teach our hearts this day, and inspire our lips to share the good news. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 12. Hear these words. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, And seeing that he answered them all well, he asked him, which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I want to first say thank you. A number of you all kind of reached out and expressed concern. Um, The whole family last weekend was sick. I mean, it was was a horrible, like, domino of plague. Um, You know, like, Grace got it first, like, on Wednesday at school, and then um, I, I, she is such a generous child, um, gave it to me by Thursday. By Friday, um, Amy was done for. Um, I ended up having to beg out of going to the men's retreat. Um, Josh and uh, Anthony and everyone else did such a great job with the men's retreat. And because we had planned for me to stay at the men's retreat, and Josh would come back to preach. I was like, all right, I I may be marginally better by the time Sunday comes around, but Josh said, no, it'd be good for you. I mean, if it's that contagious, you should stay at home. So, you know, for the last week, because of all the drainage and gunk and everything, we've had the Camerano bass family singers. Um, So anyways, thank you so much for your care. It is a very surreal thing um, to watch on Facebook um, the worship of the church that you're appointed to lead. Um, It's just strange to not be, you know, in the building. But um, uh, what a blessing, um, you know, such capable staff and such a wonderful church. So we're in the third of a four-part series looking at uh, the message that comes out of On the Brink of Everything, Grace, Gravity, and Growing Old. Um, Parker Palmer is the author, um, and it's it's really a nice... um, I know it seems like it's a book for older people, but it's really not. It's kind of a book for all of us. Um, it has these uh, great kind of um, collection of essays that he's written <laughs> that are very appropriate and uh, gathered together. Um, this particular chapter is actually named uh, From Illusion to Reality, and I really want to call it the Grace chapter. It's really this um, th- th- this kind of emphasis that we begin to see ourselves with real eyes, with our eyes, that we no longer are going to um, hold ourselves accountable to a set of expectations that are unreasonable, but rather uh, we're going to take a step a day as we grow into who God's called us to be. Um, Parker Palmer is a wonderful kind of spiritual mentor, to be honest. Uh, But he, in this chapter, talks a lot about his spiritual mentor, which is Thomas Merton. And if you've, you know, if you're curious or looking for a new book in kind of spiritual disciplines or in faith and life, Thomas Merton, anything, right? And he's, you know, one of the most, uh, I I think, published um, of uh, those types of writers, So when I think about this particular passage, I think about my pension. I I really love, I know you think, you know, every time he opens up a sermon with a thing he really loves, did he just love it that week or has this been a long time thing? I collect pictures that are about perspective or that have optical illusions in them. And it's just something that I've done for the last 10 years. Um, you know, the internet is, um, you know, rife uh, with copyright infringement. Um, and, and so when I see a picture that'll come across Facebook or social media or something, I go, wow, that's great. And I'll save it to a folder um, uh, on my device. And then when I'm, um, you know, when I have an opportunity to teach clergy or to uh, talk about discipleship, I think it's really helpful to use some of these uh, optical illusions or spectacles. Instead of talking, let me show you, right? Have you ever felt like your boss is on your back, right? (laughs) Right? Because of the angle and the line of the sight for the picture, it looks like there's a little tiny man, right, on his back. It's not, right? Um, We keep doing, right? I mean, like, I really like sailing, but I want that boat, right? Now, if you're having a hard time seeing it because you're in the back, it's a kite of a pirate ship, that because of the angle of the photographer's picture, it lines up on the horizon of the ocean. That's pretty cool, huh? Now, I've heard people talk about when pigs fly, but I've never heard them say when blue whales fly. Again, it's a kite that uh, creates the impression that you know the world is coming to an end. <laughs> Again, perspective in photography is powerful. It draws your eye to a a different place than you usually would go. It's really a picture looking up, but is it? When we continue kind of looking through, I like this one because that huge boat is captained by the little man that's standing on the front of the, uh, it's like a displacement bulb that kind of pushes the water out of the way. Makes you think differently, right? Captain looks kind of tiny there, but he's responsible for all of that we keep going, um, we can, you know, everybody's seen a picture of a tree, that's not exciting. But what if you think about the tree as if you were the squirrel at the bottom of it? That's a cute kid, or is it, right? The power of a black light and fancy paint can make the cutest kid look like a terror. And then lastly, you know, some of the most beautiful things that we see you know, they're all around us, but we're stuck in the commute. It's all around us, but we're focused on something else. And when we allow our focus to shift just a little bit, we begin to see that all there hiding in the shadow was something fascinating to see. And sadly, sometimes it's in the rearview mirror. So I I think that these kind of perceptual tricks and optical illusions are something that are not just in pictures and visual media, but we actually can find them in written word, and I would even say in Scripture itself. And I would say that today our Scripture passage, right, very common passage, right? Most people have heard about John 3.16 or the greatest commandment. I would say they know about John 3:16 because there's always some lunatic in the end zone of a uh, televised uh, football game holding it up. They don't know what it says, but they know those numbers are important to Christians, right? Now, the greatest commandment, right? Mark chapter 12 verse 28 to 31. We all knew this. We learned it in Vacation Bible School if you had the privilege of learning about Jesus via a flannel uh, board. Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus, the first is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Got it, right? That, that, that makes sense. That's Deuteronomy. That's the, the Shema. It's one of those most traditional commandments in a Jewish household. There's more to it. We'll talk about it. And then the second one, you've heard this before too. Again, a vacation Bible school standard is the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so you may be wondering, okay, preacher, where's the optical illusion in this one? It's easy. We focus all of our time on uh, two out of the three pieces in those two commandments. We spend all of our time loving God with all that we have, good idea, not trying to tell you not to, Um, and we love our neighbor. But we miss that the measure of loving our neighbor is what? How will we love ourselves? I think that's a perceptual trick. I think there's an opportunity here for us to focus on that last part because it seems to be connected to the rest of it. That the ability to love our neighbor is joined together with how well we love ourselves. Now I don't know about you, but I have seen magical transformations of people, especially families, young children, driving to church the minute they roll over the parking lot into the church property. They all change. (laughs) Right? Before they'd be yelling and screaming, sit down, everything all of a sudden, all right, you better be nice. It's an amazing transformation, right? I think we see that transformation as well in people, um, not in these pews, but in some pews, right? I mean, oh my goodness, you see somebody on the street who's in need and you'll get the shirt off your back. You'll be amazing. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. You come home, your teenager says, can I buy an app on iTunes? And you go, nope. (laughs) Or maybe you say that to yourself. Do do you see that connection between loving uh, our neighbor as... We love ourselves. We look at our scripture passage, um, our pericope, chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. It finds itself in a really hostile setting. If you want this afternoon they're going to spend some time as you look, go all the way to chapter 11. And at chapter 11, what uh, Mark is saying is that this is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Or to put it differently, this is Palm Sunday. And so Palm Sunday, there's much um, uh, excitement, much uh, triumph, there's a parade, and here comes Jesus into Jerusalem. And the next three stories that Mark tells is encounters that Jesus has with people who are trying to trip him up. This is uh, folk trying to trump up charges so that they can put him to death. And so everybody and their dog comes out to ask Jesus a question. You have the Sadducees. You have the Pharisees, you have the Herodians, you have the teachers of the law. Everyone wants to see how best to trip up Jesus. And up until this point, what we have seen is that Jesus has been really good at answering the questions in a way that he doesn't have to kind of get exposed. Jesus either wiggles out of a direct answer, uh, that's chapter 11, verse 27 to 33, or he answers ambiguously, chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, or he responds cryptically and mysteriously, uh, which would be chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. So it's interesting when the scribe in our passage says, huh, he answers things really well. I'll ask him another. I mean, it's really there. I mean, you can look. It says uh, in verse 28, um, one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well. I'm just saying the evidence for answering well. I, I think I need to change how I answer questions when grace asks me. I need to wiggle out of them. I need to answer ambiguously or respond cryptically. Not to say I'm not already doing that. <laughs> So it's an interesting question. If we move on to the question itself, what is the the greatest commandment? What is the first of all is one of the translations there. This is fascinating because in a Jewish mindset, in this kind of uh, Hebrew mindset, Old Testament mindset, all of the commands of God are equal. It's interesting that we would ask the question, which one is more important than the other? If you've done the whole uh, read the Bible in uh, a year, you have run into that, you know, whole section of law, you know, they're all number ones. But here the scribe asks Jesus, which one is more important than others? And Jesus really kind of doubles down on tradition, right? He, he, he answers with uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Um, we often refer to that as the Shema. Shema comes from the Hebrew that actually is the beginning of that verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Uh, uh, it, it, is, uh, it is the passage that goes on to say that you should uh, read and write uh, and talk about Scripture all the day. That you should bind it to your forehead. You should wrap it around your arms. That it should be on the lintel door, uh, 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 the, um, over the door as you walk through. And these are the practices that we find in Orthodox uh, Jewish homes even to this day. Right? The Shema is a powerful thing to uh, have as a part of your life. Um, this idea that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Now, what's interesting is then Jesus answers the second one is Leviticus 19.18. It is common for church folk to think that the lovey-dovey stuff is in the New Testament, love your neighbor as yourself, and that the obedience, law, you know, better measure up or you're going to a fiery place is all in the Old Testament. But here's an interesting piece of evidence. Leviticus 19.18, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to remind you that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is one God. And so you find grace and law in both places. You find expectations and mercy in both places. And so Jesus, by talking about uh, love your neighbor as yourself, is, is tapping into a tradition that is throughout the Bible. Uh, I remember one of the most common phrases um, that, uh, that God kind of communicates to the prophets is um, uh, Uh, care for the stranger, or you can translate it sojourner, or you could call it refugee, who wanders through your land. For you once were a stranger in the land of Egypt, and I brought you out of slavery and into the promised land. So there's this care for the other that's important. Now, Preachers tend to focus their pulpit time on encouraging people to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, or to love your neighbor. Right? We will talk uh, ad nauseum about applications and how to go about doing that. But one preacher in his right mind would take the time to say, "You should love yourself." I mean, I feel like I'm cribbing my notes from Justin Bieber. Right? <laughs> you know that what what Parker Palmer is encouraging us to do is to uh, kind of to check in to this recognition that we can only love others as much as we're willing to love ourselves. And so if you have a, the same kind of concern that I do about the uh, modern American mainline church and its challenge in caring for the least, the, the last, and the lost, the problem might be not, might not be in our ability to care for others, but it might be because we have a hard time caring for ourselves. I, I don't know about you, I, I, we all got voices in our heads, No, not those voices, Um, but uh, uh, most uh, psychologists and therapists will say that um, if you had a good childhood, good upbringing, you've either got mom or dad that are in your head occasionally saying things to you, right? My mom would be saying to me, today, wear a tie. (laughs) We all, oh, not laughter for that. I guess (laughs) guess I should. Okay. Right? But you have these voices in your head that are part of your past. They're part of that memory. Now, some of us have a highly critical voice inside our head that has nothing to do with anybody else. It's just inside us. right? Like today, I was tying my shoe uh, this morning, and my shoelace broke. And I just laughed. I laughed. And, and then the voice in my head said, see, you should have gotten new shoelaces when you noticed it a week ago. Wow, that's a lot to carry, right? I, I, I often, um, I've said this even to my district superintendent, I, I, I am a harder critic on myself than really anyone else can be. Do you feel this way? When I go in for my yearly uh, performance evaluation with the district superintendent, I already have five things in my head that I know I don't do as well as I could. And when I spend a half hour with my district superintendent, at the end of that half hour, if he has not mentioned at least two or three of those things that I know I could do better, I walk out the door going, huh, and he thinks he evaluates people. (laughs) Right? I I don't know, people are just kind of wired in interesting ways, and some of us are wired to be very hard on ourselves. Uh, Thomas Merton in Parker Palmer's book, On the Brink of Everything, Grace, Gravity, and Getting Old, um, says that we could do anything with our lives if we would just quit making demands that are outside of ourselves, right? If we would uh, give up some of these high expectations and instead take a step each day journeying closer to the heart of God, learning how to be a child of God and to love God, it's breaking down the illusion to the reality. Uh, you know, um, Parker Palmer writes um, in this chapter, um, he said, he's talking about how he always goes to uh, New Mexico. They always get a cabin up in the mountains. They've done this since he was a young adult, he and his uh, wife, um, and they often will uh, hike uh, the uh, trails that are around there in the mountains. And he talks about having done, uh, you know, uh, hiking up to 9,000 feet altitude and uh, elevation and all these things. He says, but as I climb, as a 70-year-old, Gravity kicks in. I hike more slowly than I used to, stopping to catch my breath more often. I have to be more attentive to where I'm putting my feet, lest a momentary imbalance pitch me into a fall. The tug of gravity is an inescapable part of aging. As they say, everything goes south. Energy, reaction time, muscle tone, the body itself, They're all headed back into the earth as far south as it goes. I I wonder, for all of us, is a mirror an opportunity to look and go, yeah, I'm on the right side of the grave? Is a mirror a chance to affirm the life and vitality that we have at no matter what age we are? Or is a mirror something to avoid because it reminds us how far we've fallen? being kind to ourselves. Some of you are trying to figure out how to be kind to yourself. I, I have to be honest, um, my wife for five years or so in a row would ask me what I wanted for Christmas and I had no idea how to say what I, I wanted. world peace, right? I wanted, you know, I wanted the United Methodist Church not to fight about things anymore. I, I wanted big stuff, right? It's hard to think about what the easy, simple, kind gesture was. I wonder if you're like that. You've spent so much of your time caring for others and working to meet other people's needs that you've forgotten that you have needs at all. And you don't even know how to articulate them. For some of us, breaking illusion down into reality is this idea that somehow we have gotten where we are and we think we might be an imposter And we're terrified that y'all are going to figure out that we're an imposter. This is actually a DSM, uh, American Psychological Association diagnosis. It's called the imposter syndrome. It's a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud despite external evidence of their competence you think, oh wow, well that's for crazy people. Okay, so would you say, people who have suffered from imposter syndrome, Maya Angelou. Yeah, you're not saying crazy people now, right? Uh, Emma Watson, Tom Hanks, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sonia Sotomayor, Michelle Obama. Like, What? It's right. I like that sound, right? Oh my goodness. These are people who I thought have made it and are, you know, pointing the way for the rest of us. And instead they have this fear that you're going to figure out that they're imposters. Being kind to ourselves, acknowledging where we are, where our feet are standing. I have to say that um, this loving our neighbor as ourself is a challenging thing. It's not often that we talk about loving ourselves. We are often Protestant work ethic, overly judgmental, somewhat hypocritical folk as Christians who only want to point towards perfection. And if you can't make perfection, get out of the way because God doesn't have any use for you. I think that's a shockingly destructive message. I think if we want to care for our neighbors, we must first care for ourselves. You know, Parker Palmer writes in On the Brink of Everything, he, he says, um, I'm thrown into contradiction. That contradictions happen. He quotes uh, Merton by saying, to realize that this is mercy and to accept it as love and to help others do the same is compassion. Uh, Palmer uh, continues to quote Merton and goes on to say that the contradictions in our lives are engines of creativity. It's true, if we got everything right or everything wrong, there'd be none of the divine discontent or the sense of possibility that animates our growth. What we get wrong makes us reach for something better. What we get right reassures us that the better is sometimes within our reach. Are you hearing that message, that message of kindness to yourself? Uh, on the back of the order of worship, the long piece that's in the bulletin, you'll find a section called For This Week, and it's, um, uh, I've got an extra book on there about self-compassion, and then I've got a, a little bit of an exercise that you can read through as something to do. Um, some of you are thinking that this whole kindness to yourself is way too psychological, sociological kind of hooey. But you can also think, what is it like for you to extend to yourself a measure of grace? Sometimes the illusion becomes reality when we quit trying so hard and we let ourselves experience the grace that we so badly want the world to experience as well. One step at a time. One step at a time, we're going to love God with all we have, and what we have is enough. And one step at a time, we're going to love our neighbor, but only as we learn how to love ourselves. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.